You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Creators in Saigon podcast. Today we are talking with Tuesi, one of our hosts here. So do you want to give kind of a high-level introduction of yourself and then we'll start Digging in with questions. Uh, High-level introduction. So uh, my name is Too Easy, or you can just call me Too Easy, <laughs> or sometimes I like to call myself Too Sexy, but that's your choice. It's very corny, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I was born and raised in France uh, from Vietnamese parents, and then I, I moved to Canada when I was 19 years old to study English, and then I decided to stay in Canada to stay because it was much better than France in my opinion. And then, um, so I stayed there for about 10 years. I studied photography in university. When I left university, I didn't like photography anymore. So I decided to just go back into something that I enjoyed, which is talking to people. So I went back to my old ESL school and in that I went into tourism. I ended up uh, working for a tour company that was uh, handling all the the English schools in Canada and some of uh, them in the States too. And we're doing trips to Niagara Falls, to New York, to all of this. And I started as a sales manager to them, and I ended up being uh, the general manager later. Anyway, I stayed uh, 10 years in Canada, and then I felt uh, displaced, still not uh, very good in my own skin. So at 28 years old, I left everything, and I went to Australia for a year, where I was a tour guide on the Yarra in Melbourne. Then I went to New Caledonia for about another year, and then I went back to Canada for three years. And within those three years, I ended up, again, feeling displaced, sank into addiction a little bit, a lot, a lot, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) And so I suffered from a couple years of of heavy addiction and I came to Vietnam to to change environment and, and to see if I could start a life new. And so here I am today. It's been a year and a half that I'm in Vietnam. I'm much better much, much better. I'm enjoying uh, my life a lot. So that's the, the rough lines for me. And one of the things to, uh, that is important to mention is I lost my mom when I was six years old. And it, it, you know, I realize much later how defining of a moment it was in my life uh, and how defining it was in my addiction too. So I'm just throwing it on the table. Okay. But don't ask me questions about my addiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was going to go into. So yeah, like... Yeah. Okay, first of all, so what kind of addiction was it? So the real substance addiction that that most of the people knew about is I was addicted to crystal meth. And I did crystal meth for two years. By the time I got to Vietnam, it was two years almost every day Mm -hmm. in high quantity. It was pretty bad. Did other people in your life... No, like, was it obvious or were you kind of living a double life? So I, I, I stumbled upon it. If I go back to addiction, like, I, I was addicted to many things after the death of my mom. One of the first things was sugar and food. Then it was, like, sex, porn, dating, more food, alcohol. Uh, and then I guess math was the, the logical, powerful answer to all. And the first time I did it, yeah, and the first time I did it, it was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the answer to everything. It's 
doesn't allow me to feel too much emotion. It allows me to be very wild and do like a lot of stupid fucking shit. And um, so the first year, I actually did it under the table. It was very, it was very secret. I was still going to the to the office, and I was like a high functional addict, I would say. And then at the downfall of my life, I, I had a relationship at that time. I was engaged. I obviously disengaged now, but I was engaged, and I, I it was going very bad, obviously because a lot because of me. And I looked at myself, and I was like, okay, I'm living in this beautiful apartment downtown Toronto. I have a very high paying job. Uh, I have a very beautiful fiance. And yet I'm doing drugs every single day to sustain my mental stability. She knew, knew, yes. And she was involved in it a little bit. Not a little bit. I I, I take full responsibility of it. And that's the reason, too, I was like, okay, well, there is only one way out. And there is only only one way to take responsibility of this is to tell everybody. So I, I told everybody that was my life that, you know, so my staff at that time, the owner of the company, um, I, 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 I gave some subtle hints to my family, but I didn't want to go too much into details. I was just like, I'm, I'm fucking up my life here. But most of the staff knew that I was addicted to crystal meth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What was kind of the... And my best friends too, my, all my friends. Yeah, sorry. I was going to ask, like, what was kind of the moment where it was like, okay, this is, the, the, I can't go on like this anymore. Was there kind of a moment or... Um, I think... The very stupid thing about being a drug addict is you don't you don't have that moment. I think uh, you you kind of know it, but it's always on top of a high. So when you're on top of that high, you're always like, "Yeah, I have the courage to do whatever in life, and I'll handle it." Like I I have that situation, but I think the moment that I said it to everybody, that was the moment where I was like, "Okay, there is only two choices now. It's whether I get I I get myself back on track somehow." Or I end up like a, the poster boy. So I didn't want to be poster boy. And, uh, and so I was like, and it was hard to, um, you know, like a lot, of, a lot of the people at that time was like, the, one of the hardest things that I had to learn in my life is to ask for appropriate help, especially my, help, my, my own help, is to know how to get help is, is not that hard. It's not that easy, actually. It's actually very hard, especially when you're surrounded by people that goes, you know, when I told him at the at the very first, a lot of people went, oh, how can you do this? Do you know how it, what it does to your body? And then I would go, do you know? And they were like, whoa. And then they would stop and then they were like, yeah, that's the extent of my care to you. It's like, I'm supposed to, you know, again, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's my opinion on this. But like a lot of people I felt was, we're just saying this to say this. And that was it. I checked in. Yeah, I, I checked in. It's like, why could you do this? Get your shit back together. Get some help. The the best one was like, just don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> just say no. Yeah. And I'm like, and yeah, in my understanding, it was a lot tied up to to how I felt emotions too. And then, and if you feel a lot, so there is something called being an empath. I, I read that it, it was a running joke in my company because when I heard about it, I was like, guys, I'm an empath. I know about it now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it was like, because I read this article, it's like, oh, it's describing my life. Yes, I can feel people's emotion. But the downside of feeling people's emotion is you overthink a lot. And then people would always come up to me since I'm a kid, go like, stop thinking too much to AC. And I'm like, but I'm feeling too much and I don't know how to express it. And, and it was all fucked up. Like. <laughs> and it's like, I heard in a book I read, does when, when you tell someone that feels too much, 
to stop overthinking, it's like telling someone that has blue eyes to stop having blue eyes. It's like, stop having green eyes. <laughs> like, well, anyway. Yeah. So would you say, like, the kind of allure of all these different things that were the addictions, was that to escape from this overload of emotions? Or mm-hmm. I just feel like a lot of times, you know, we have these addictions because we're running from something or escaping from something. Yeah. What do you think that was I, for you? I think it was, it was it was a lot tied up on the, on how I felt emotion. So there is for me there was two components. There was like how I did not know how to express my own emotions and my own pain and my own like childhood trauma, I guess, with the death of my mom and how my father was quite controlling in in the things that I could do and the the things that I could live and all those things. And then on top of that, there was the addition that I knew only years after only was the you know, like the emotions of others that I had to, to, and then if you, it took me a while to, you know, it took me until I was 33. I, I still remember in January, 2018, that's, that was the moment that I, I, I was like, ah, okay, this is my share of trauma. And then this is the other's emotions. And this is, this is not, and now I know this is the walls that I need to build so I can catch people's emotion and have the proper, mechanism to to deal with them and then i have my own emotions that i haven't dealt with and here they are and it was it was for me the owner of my old company gave birth to a beautiful baby in november 2018 and i had this realization january 2019 so he gave birth and then two months after around january his mom is in hospital and the guy is 58 at that point and so his mom is in the hospital and he's like in japan takes an airplane back to canada because he wants to talk to his mom before she passes and I was very t- very close with him at that time and when he landed I texted him I goes like hey did you land is everything okay and he goes I think I missed my mom by two hours and I'm still emotional when I talk about it because like just everything just came back it was like huh you know it's like oh I had the same with my mom and then it was like for a couple weeks I was just like so depressed and all those things and it was like oh now I realize I never say goodbye to my mom. And then, in a way, I, I hated her, you know, for leaving. And the hatred that I felt, I hid it. I was like, well, you're not allowed. Or it was like, you know, you grew up in France with this idea that hatred is for the devil. You know, if you hate, you go to, you go to hell. You know, you, you're not allowed to have anything negative. And I'm like, if you hate, then bad things will happen to you. So it was like, my mom died. Why did she die? You know, no, no, no. And it's, oh, I hate her at the same time. Why she leave me and everything? Oh, maybe because I hate, I'm the devil. Maybe because, and then you hide it. And then this whole fear of abandonment starts and everything. And it, anyway, so in that moment, when I realized out of this, I went like, fuck to AC, man. You were six years old, man. Forgive yourself. And then everything clicked. I was like, oh, that's how you love yourself. And I realized that since six years old, I forgot how to love myself. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. I need to realize where to, to get rid of the addiction. I need to realize where all the negative emotions have been hidden in my life. So hatred, anger, sadness, and all those things, if I wanted to express them, I have to express them to understand and to forgive them. So I went directly to my dad and I was like, dad, I hate you. 
<laughs> for this, this. I love you, Dad, but I hate you for this, 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 and that. And I was like, it was this whole thing of like, I'm I'm allowed to express yes. hatred, yeah. And it was like, and in a way that helped me to to understand all this, you know, that boiling that you have in your in here that that goes. I'm just gonna go eat. I'm just gonna go watch TV. I'm just gonna go smoke meth. It, for me, it was the same. It was like I'm gonna lose myself in something because I can't tell the two dearest people in my life that they wronged me or I felt wrong or hate, hated. And I couldn't stand up for myself my whole life for that. You know, well, I pretended to and I was very good at it. So when you decided, okay, so you told everyone yeah. in your life, I imagine it wasn't like, immediately you could stop no. was you know what was that kind of process like and was there a process of oh now all of these emotions these negative emotions are coming like oh my god I don't know how to deal with that yeah it was it, it came with knowledge a lot of knowledge so meeting the right people that I genuinely felt that they cared for me it was very important to genuinely feel that someone cares uh, it came, yeah. Were these new people coming into your life or people who were already there? It was well, my best friend, uh, Fala, thank you, uh, really took care of me at that point. In the moment where I, I told everybody, I was also breaking up with my fiance. My, my whole social life was like, kind of like, my whole life was just, you know, and I was just so, at that point, I was, I, I decided to rebuild myself slowly. One of the key moments, I think, was, again, in taking knowledge. I, I didn't understand why, specifically, crystal meth was my drug of choice. And then I realized that it kept me focused, actually, and it kept me doing work and all those things. And of everything that I tried in my life, it was the only one that kept me functioning and not feeling the things that I didn't want to feel. So it was a big battle with myself that goes, do I want people's emotional poison or do I want the chemical poison? You know, and it was a, it was a hard, hard choice. It was like, do I want to? And especially when when you come out as an addict, you know, this whole um, this whole masquerade of society becomes very hard to handle because you go, do I want to go into work nine to five and and meet people that genuinely don't care and pretend that care and all those things, or do I want to stay home and just smoke meth and be as just as productive and 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 do stupid shit? But I still do stupid shit anyway, so. On that note, I realized that also, so with the knowledge that uh, that methamphetamine was a variation of amphetamine, and it was like just street Adderall in a way. And so I, when I made that connection, I was like, okay, well, there is the conditioning of the substance. So I started doing crystal meth for wild sex parties and all those all those stupid things. But when my life started shattering around. I didn't do those stupid things anymore, but I was so focused. And I'm like, okay, so I guess I can reuse this addiction to target myself in in taking more knowledge. So that was the bet that I took in July 2018. I was like, I told everybody already, nobody really cares. There is one or two people that cares, but they can be always here. It's not their life to live. You know, It's my life to be responsible for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to believe that this drug is going to be like street Adderall, really bad for my body. But if I'm going to stay awake for five days a week, then I'm going to stay awake those five days to learn because the knowledge that will that'll intake will never disappear. It was very bad learning because it was just this like really jittery. So it was like addiction, but like it, I've read 
probably hundreds of books at this point and you know the knowledge that it didn't disappear so it was a good bet and thank god like the first books that i read was about recovery so that book of russell brand there was another beautiful book about recovery too that i read a bunch that talks about the 12 steps program and talks about the mental addiction and the physical addiction and those things and i'm like okay well i think i've bit my mental addiction i think i'm almost there also with all the things that I, the, the bad things that I say to my dad, my dad was a fantastic man because he was a, he used to be a Buddhist monk. So he was highly controlling, but the things that he made me do when I was a kid, some of it was very valuable. So I grew up every weekend having to sit in front of uh, one of those incense. I, I was forced into meditation my whole childhood. And then when shit hit the roof, the reflex came back of just sitting down and just breathing. Mm. And I think that's, in a way, saved my life a little bit too. So I, I could intake a lot of substance and meditate for an hour and look perfectly okay. You know, maybe I still do it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, so it was very good. So meditation, beating the mental addiction, and then the next steps were like, okay, there is the physical addiction and there is the Can real... You Oh, good question again. So the the physical addiction is the so a lot of the it's it's all it's all goes back to the mental addiction in a way. But physical addiction is is your actual body wanting the chemical reaction because yeah. like you know the dopamine is 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 lowering and like you know you have all those those rituals too that you go through. You know when you you smoke meth, there is all those things you do and it's it becomes this ritual. It's like someone taking a coffee in the morning. If they don't take it, it triggers them. Yeah your body is so accustomed to this and especially for me after two years of doing it every day it was like I did not know I literally couldn't think of a life without doing it and I was like just freaking out going like but I'm barely I'm almost functional people don't know they don't need to know and it was just this battle in my head so like the source of the addiction the, is emotional it's always emotional I think I think I'm not a professional at it I, I can I can help someone through it, but I'm not, I don't know the, the, the whole thing about it, but the emotional is always the source, the trigger of everything. But then if you, if you train your body enough, you, you create a bad habit and the bad habit was to intake the drug in, in quantity. Yeah. The action of doing it and, uh, the action of doing it is tied up to the environment a lot. So for me, even though I had all the knowledge, I knew what to do. To be still in that apartment, to be still in that city, to be still in that apartment where I saw my life fall apart, to still go to that same company was a very hard environment. Oh, so yeah. it was like I needed to change environments. And that's why I came to Vietnam. Very honestly, yeah. Let me say that because I don't know if I said it enough, but drug is not a good thing. <laughs> it's really not a drug. Like uh, crystal meth is not a good thing. You know, like it's uh, I, I'm, I'm super grateful that I got out of this. And like, you know, I'm super grateful that I, I have this life today And because uh, I couldn't see it about a year ago when I came to Vietnam. I took the airplane. It was so bad. And, um, and I'm so grateful to have this life today. And, you know, if anyone is going through this and can't picture a life without it, I totally understand that. But it's, it's highly doable. You know? So what is your definition of drug, though? Because, I mean, you were talking about coffee as well. Like, if there is... Uh, mental and um, physical addiction. Yeah, I guess like any other type of bad habit is can I feel, be considered as. I, I feel that anything anything that you take habitually, 
to tame any type of negative emotion is an addiction. Any substance or any external factor, like you, for me, that's addiction. Every time you, you know, it's always tied up to that guilt, to that lack of self-esteem and all those things. And, and you know, so every time you make that move to deny your body to express a negative emotion, every time you depress that emotion, then you're, you have the right, all the, all the ways to fall into addiction. There's also, you know, like for me, so society also defines the addiction very much. We talked about it just before rolling. I would have told everybody that I, I, I would pop five Adderalls per day. People would be like, overachiever, great, you know? <laughs> it allowed me to multitask very well and be like, yay. <laughs> Actually, Adderall doesn't allow you to multitask, don't try it. <laughs> but, uh, and then uh, I, I remember my years in 2013 where I would go into a Korean bar every day eating fat, fatty food, drinking three bottles of sojus and 10 beers every night, spending $100 and people were high-fiving me. Mm. Yay, alcoholism, you know? It's like, that's the cool thing to do. You're, you're going out with the students, you're bringing more sales. Great job, Twacy. There is another party tonight, though. Are you going? And it would be like, okay, you know? And it's like, you know, the feeling was the same. I would go home and be like, I feel so lonely. Yeah, there's you know? some socially acceptable Of course, yeah. Like yeah. We were talking about perfectionism or like yeah. workaholism. Workaholism. Like, yeah. oh look at look at her. Like she's so successful. Mm-hmm. She's like accomplishing so much. And then yeah. meanwhile mm-hmm. crying at home and yeah. has, you know, no work life balance, no exactly. like, real meaning in life. Yeah. So it's kind of the same. Yeah. People are addicted to any cause it, it, this is great because you're a coach on burnout. Mm-hmm. People are freaking addicted to burning out now. It's like a it's like yeah. it's like a badge. Exactly. I'm burnt out, guys. Yes. <laughs> and I'm gonna... like, Before 30. Yeah. People like, post on their stories like, yeah, yeah still in the office, 3 a.m. Oh my like, God, yeah. Kind of bragging about it and then it's seen as, yeah. you're like this hero mm-hmm. if you stay up till 3 a.m. in the office and then you come back in at 8 a.m. in the office and people are like, wow, so amazing. Yeah. Actually, that's that was, really unhealthy. <laughs> that was, that was part, part of this was me and then, and then inject that, like, Burnout on math is never ending. <laughs> it's like, you're like, okay, I've been up for three days working. What's up? Yay. And then you're alone in your house and it's well, very bad. So for me, from my point of view, like we know each other for a long time, but mm-hmm. I, like, I didn't live with you at that moment. But at least uh, in Vietnam, like I've seen you for most of your uh, mm-hmm. out of drama days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most impressive for me about Tussie seems to be like how you got out of addiction. And uh, you, uh, I would like, or how you call it, life operating system. Mm-hmm. And uh, you created this system where basically you are able to detect when you uh, yeah. have something mm-hmm. bad coming in your life and helping you how to learn, how to implement, mm-hmm. test, review again, and then keep going. So yeah. for me, like this, this notion of life operating system is yeah. is quite important. How yeah. can you? Eventually, for someone who doesn't know yeah. about it, like how it works and what mm-hmm. what is your view on that? Yeah, so t- good question. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> I like so everything is tied up. Like it's a, it's it's a constant evolution, and I'm very amazed uh, about myself. I'm like, you know, like part of part of working on your self esteem is tapping yourself in the back a lot. And so, because when I came May 2019, I I wasn't out of it at all. Again, there is a part for me in the, in the in that operating system. I came with just one thing that I was sure of is how I 
how I learn. And, and so the circle of learning for me was like, okay, I know something in theory, then I have to create the intention to do it. So I have to decide to do it. Then I do it following the movement that I know. So the body does it. Mm-hmm. And then I review that movement and I find where I can do it better or the mistakes. Then the t- next step is very emotional where I have to accept that I need to change my ways or I need to accept that I made mistakes. A lot of people don't. And I accept, so I, I had to accept that I needed to change my life, you know. And then the last step, which was the hardest for me, and I realized this in January 2019, was to forgive myself for making mistakes. Because without the forgiveness, then you don't learn. It's just the way it is. So then after you forgive yourself, it goes back into the knowledge base. So you can reuse and apply that knowledge every time. So I was like, okay, I need to make a life based on this, where I can know, do, choose to do, review, and then I'll go again, forgive myself. And every time I forgive myself was every time I would tell myself, I, I love you to AC. It's okay, you know, good job, man. Like, you know. And so I created these things on, on Notion. So I use this app a lot. And the system wasn't perfect to start with, but it was it was one step at a time again. Like it was... Just start where you think is right. And so what was right for me in my year in tourism was that the best day that I had tour guiding was the day that I had a good itinerary, yeah. you know, a daily itinerary. So I was like... So that, that you know? Yeah. I, I was like, okay, that I know. So I'm going to start making myself daily itinerary, which transformed into weekly itinerary, which transformed into this big thing. And it evolved with myself. And then... One of the key rule knowledge that I that I didn't take, and it was from whether Atomic Habits, the book, very good book, mm-hmm. or it was a bunch of book that talks about habits, which were saying that to create a new habit and make sure that it sticks, it takes sixty six days. And I was like, yeah, I, I was like, sixty six days for me sounds so much better than the usual. Oh, you can beat it in twelve days. You know, there is those twelve sugar program and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way they'd explain it was like, okay, you need 22 days to get rid of the old habit. That's already pretty hard. And then you need 22 days to install the new habit and 22 days to make sure it's thick. So I was like, okay, I need to stop relapsing for 66 days. So um, the a, a few people knew, uh, nobody knows that in, in Canada, but when I came in May, I stopped with all the goodwill that I had. I stopped for about three weeks. I went to Japan and then I came back and the loneliness, as soon as the loneliness crept back in, Vietnam is not a hard, hard country to find drugs. You know, it took me approximately, I remember 25 minutes from thinking about it to having it in my hand. Yeah. I I just had to text three people on like some website and then they delivered it. Mm. And it took me 25 minutes and I was like, (laughs) and then so i went back in for uh, for a hard month month and a half and then and then my girlfriend came into my life Um, at that time i was dedicated to find the proper help and stupidly i thought that having a personal assistant would help me and it was like (laughs) i was on this war to redefine everything i was like I need to make sure that when I meet people, it's always in my own definitions of things because society's definitions are so wrong. So I met Ni. She's not here, but uh, we live together now. I met Ni. I met Ni at a party, and we ended up we ended up like you know kissing. And I and then I go, 
do you want to be my personal assistant? <laughs> and she looks at me and she goes, weirdo. And it was like, yeah, I'll pay you, I'll pay you $500 per month. Can you be my personal yeah. assistant? And so she became my personal assistant. And I remember when we, I met Nicola, I met all my French what friends. She meant and, to do for you. So she found my apartments and like, <laughs> I was like, I'll teach you everything. I just need someone to do everything that I don't like to do so I can focus on the things that I like to do. Because at work, this is when I started applying my business rules to my personal life. And for me, it was like, I need someone to take care of the shit that I don't like to do so I can focus on at least and finish the things that I like to do so at least something is finished. Mm-hmm. So I, it kind of worked in a way. But so I would, I would introduce everybody. Uh, I was like, you know, that's me. That's my personal assistant. And you should have seen the looks from the Vietnamese girl. Like, you know, her friends would be like, <laughs> be careful with this. this is and like because everybody was like no that's weird <laughs> he's about to do something to you and it was like why because and it, and it worked in a way because <laughs> defining her as a personal assistant she, people couldn't go like oh is that your boyfriend or like and then go into those general questions about boyfriend girlfriend yeah. they'll be like you're his what personal assistant so what do you do for him <laughs> oh he pays me to you know, he pays me to do errands and like, you know, things like this. And he's teaching me how to do business. And then the question would stop there. They would just be like, yeah. oh, we can't gossip anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, and that was it. So, but then the bad thing about that is strategy that you do under addiction don't, don't work in a way because you're doing them to beat your own addiction. But it's the addiction that sometimes he's speaking to. So the only way that I actually got out is the day that I did the switch where I went, wait, it would be a lot easier for me to get out of all of this if I stop trying to control the, the narrative mm-hmm. and I switch it. So in August, and that's the last time I relapsed, I was like, okay, you know what, me? I'm going to be your personal assistant. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I have the responsibility to bring your life to the next level. And I'm going to make sure that for three months, so 66 days, I don't touch that drug anymore. And you have to manage me for that, you know? It's a good story. And it was the switch and it made so much more sense. It was like, why am I trying at 34 years old to force my narrative of a broken man that tries to get redemption when I should be personally assisting the growth of someone younger than me that has all of her future in front of her? Instead of being like, see, I beat it. No, nobody cares about me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not this guy anymore. Fuck, fuck off to AC. <laughs> Let other people shine. So I was like, okay. So I did that switch and it helped me. I, I got clean for 66 days and then I, I had a party about it. And it was, you could see it like right away. Like the physical addiction was gone. And then I meditated every day and the meditation every night was hard. Oh, the meditation every night was hard. The beginning was like five to ten minutes, and I would close my eyes and I would hear it. <laughs> <Yeah. It's crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's all those perverted thoughts and all those things, and I would just shake. And now it's much better. So, so how do you advise someone to like get started? Let's say they want to beat one of their addiction, or they want to implement this life operating system. How do you how you recommend some? them to, to, to start? Oh, it's a um, very good question again. Just even um, one or two steps doesn't have to be the, the, the because this is part of, sort of the, the, uh, the, two, the, the very first step that I usually recommend people is to ask themselves if they think they're normal 
and if they don't think they're normal, to try to choose two words that are similar to not normal, and if those two words that they choose are on the negative spectrum, to question themselves why they don't love themselves. Mm. Because that's the start of everything. You need to love yourself too. Yeah. One of the things that I will make sure before we close to is, again, to always remind the seriousness of addiction and, and all those things. But my coping mechanism with a lot of the uncomfortable things is to, to laugh about it, to laugh about myself and all those things. Uh, in the past, I would laugh about myself, but not pick myself up after that, you know. It was just like, I'll push you down just to, you know, have that laugh. And I was a sad clown. I still have that reflex of making jokes and not taking those things too too seriously, but it's really important to to remind people that you know don't go in like you know it's it's not fun. I've I've and I've met a lot of people that you know like I'm super grateful to be here today, but I've met so many people in this journey that you know started too young or couldn't handle their emotional trauma that snapped. On drugs, on on meth, or things like this. I went to shelters and, yeah, uh, in you know, in Vietnam some, and then in, in but mostly in Canada. Yeah. The, the that's an interesting topic too because it's the uh, the relation within cultures and drugs. One of the reason why changing the environment was good for me too is because the way they approach crystal meth here in Vietnam is shady. Uh, like people that do it in Vietnam, for me were high class shady too it's like it's it's not the same environment you know mm-hmm. to be fair in Canada it was quite shady too it's, it's, it's a shady drug mm-hmm. yeah so I want to jump in into what we are doing now yeah and so I remember one of the things you you said when we started to work together was that you wanted to like take the pulse of Vietnam mm. and shake hands to as many people as possible Yeah, um, within whatever you were doing, uh-huh. it's like whatever. If we do consulting, or if you do uh, help, if you help your girlfriend, or mm-hmm. whatever you are doing in the day life, in a daily, on a daily basis, yeah, you would want to meet people, connect, yeah. and, and everything. Um, so as a result, we created this Saturdays meetups on a weekly basis with our friends, inviting our friends, inviting people we know, friends of friends, mm-hmm. like our different circles. Mm-hmm. We were having meaningful conversations trying to learn and talk about uh, yeah. self-development and all mm-hmm. these things we also approached uh, yeah. during this interview. So now it seems like we are joining different workshops. We are going around the city as well to meet more people. Mm-hmm. And my question, I'm coming to the question. <laughs> From your perspective now, if we yeah. start to, just your perspective, okay, don't think about whatever I think. I never uh, think about. Can you explain to everyone uh, what is taking the pulse of Vietnam to you and uh, how this journey journey is going so mm. far? So, so let's put addiction on the side and let's go back to the, to, to one of the main, li- one of the big line in my life was uh, the understanding of how I felt people's emotion, how I was uh, very empathic in Italy. <laughs> Super empathic, actually. I'm an. I, two years ago, I would just be like, I'm an empath. I have a superpower, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Are you an empath? <laughs> But yeah. So when I had the understanding that I could feel people's emotion, I realized with all the learning that I've done, also is I I could definitely feel their fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there is one thing that society is driving us on, is our fears and. 
you know, which part of the, easier. yes, which is the wrong way, I think, to live life after all of the things that I've learned. But the addiction and coming out of the addiction and all this is this. So the, my capacity of, of, of feeling people emotion made me go into looking more into fears to understand my emotions and this, this whole aspect of emotional intelligence, which if you remember that, that loop of like, okay, you know, you, you choose you to do this. So it's the same with emotions. You have to choose to express that emotions to look at how you express it so you can express it better. It's always like this. And so taking the pulse of Vietnam for me was, was more in a way not to, again, force my narrative on the, the Vietnamese local because I'm bound to work with the Vietnamese local and I, I, I really want to. I'm passionate about helping people. That's a, a big line in my life to helping people in general. Um, and communicating with them, understanding them. So I wanted to do those meetups in a way to bring people from all across the globe, really. We had like expats, we had like local vikios, a little bit of everything, and see the pulse for me is to see to which fear they're answering to, you know. There is, a, from what I know, five of them. You know, it's the fear. So it, it goes fear of rejection, abandonment, one. humiliation, betrayal, and injustice. So I always try to see, you know, like usually the fear of rejection is, is very important. And I see how society has shaped that fear and how it's using it. So I can like try to communicate it in the best way possible. You know, they, it, it's, it's a hard, it's, it's hard when you feel uh, someone emotion first to, to convince them of that. So naturally now I don't try to convince any people of that. But then before, when I didn't know it, I still strategize on how I felt. And I had so many arguments with people where people would say something and I would totally deny it because I would go directly to the, you know, in my past relationship, I was like, oh, what's going on, babe? Nothing, everything is fine. No, you're not fine. <laughs> Tell me the truth right now. And then it was like, it was, just bad. it was bad. It was bad. It was really bad. So now I'm like, I'm still strategizing, but in a very compassionate way. I try to listen really to the words, how much it matches the emotion. From there, I have this little ratio that I calculate in my mind that goes, ah. <laughs> yeah, I can help. <laughs> yeah. And then I, and then I strategize which button I want to push for which reaction, you know. And a lot of people, a lot of people are like, oh, this is manipulation. But I'm like, this is the, that's, it's like yeah of yeah you have to make choices and a lot of people I feel taking the pulse is also trying to gauge who is going to come out as a leader because a leader is the one that makes the decision that pushes the button and uh, and that's what you want to you know pulse out a lot of people you know in every society that I lived in after five countries a lot of people you'll see them in a group environment, especially in tourism, they'll sit there and nobody will make a decision. Mm. Try to go with friends, six friends, and just throw in on the table, hey, where are we going to eat? Impossible yeah. to decide. And the leader will always step out and go, okay, you know. But the reason why nobody can decide is based on fear. And I, I always go like, okay. <laughs> and I try right. to observe. So I try to, to compassionately, for me, compassionately understanding someone is to listen with all the senses that I have. You know, so that's 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 what it is. Yeah. Without taking the poison in uh, boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Was there anything that we didn't ask you that you would want to bring up? I think it was good to go into the topic of addiction. Um, I think 
obviously there is way more discussion to be uh, talked about. I know if anyone that is suffering from addiction is listening to this or, you know, one of the, one of the things that feels good is to be listened for me to sit down today and even to talk about my experience feels very good because the purpose of life is to exist and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and just to be able to talk about yourself freely is something very nice. And so I don't, you know, I, I never stop uh, talking unless I'm listening to someone. So if anyone, you know, listen to this and wants to talk about their addiction or the things they feel, I'm, I'm always a listening ear. I'm always, you know, yeah, express yourself because once you express yourself, you'll understand it better. And then once you hear the things that I think, you'll probably clash with it or accept it or not. But every time you receive a new idea, you're making things go, you know, yeah, because you say it, and then yeah, that helps you to of course. Your, even your even if you are things and your self love, because for me we learn by repetition. So, even if I tell you something that you totally disagree with, by just disagreeing with it mentally, you have made that process of looking into my sentence, trying to understand it, and like you know, new knowledge is being intaked. Mm-hmm. And then someone down the road will tell you exactly the same thing, and if that thing is actually right one day and it happens to everybody to go ah yeah that's what that person meant oh that's what it means or you know and and so i i, I always freely give my opinion because that's the only thing that i have <laughs> how i feel and that what i think is the only thing that i have so i give it and i so a lot of people also like a lot of people that i meet are like you know like aren't you hurt to aren't you scared to hurt people by the way you say things and things like this and for me it was a it's like Maybe in the past, you know, I would be a little bit more, uh, I would change my approach. But now I, I fixed a lot of new rules in my life where I go, okay, well, you know, I would, I'm allowed to say, to think, to do, and, 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 and to ask anything that I want for or want to say. But then I'm also responsible for the emotions that I create in other by allowing myself that. Just by adding those rules in my life. I'm actually, I, I, or the, what I've been trying to do for the past year and a half is I take responsibility for the emotions that I create in others by allowing myself to give my opinion freely, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I say something and it changed a lot, those new, those new rules kind of change a lot of things for me because by feeling someone's emotion, sometimes I can't just shush, you know. Now I know if I shush, then I keep the poison. Mm-hmm. So I need to say it. And when I say it, if now you get upset, I go, you know, that wasn't my intention to get you upset. So what can I do to re-explain to you what I was trying to explain and how can I take responsibility over those emotions? And a lot, in a lot of the case, the other side feels amazing, yeah. you know, because it's like, oh, it's the, you know, people get triggered by the logic of things, but they're emotionally in pain, you know, and so... I've been doing this for about a year and a half and it's been working wonderfully. Mm. You should life lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before I would go into fucking like long arguments. It's like someone would come up to me is like, I'm upset at you. And I would like, oh yeah, let me demonstrate you on this blackboard how you're not supposed to be. You're not, you know, and I, how I'm right and you're wrong. So whatever emotional you felt just before, you're not allowed to have it. Shut up. <laughs> and you know, those toxic, toxic conversation. Like it's, it was, I, I, I look at myself and I go, no wonder, man. Like, because, <laughs> you know, 
I was I was not the best guy sometimes. So maybe we could each say a kind of takeaway that we have from this conversation, mm-hmm. something that really stuck out to us. I can start. So for me, what really stuck out was that piece about switching the narrative and when you decided to, instead of controlling things about yourself, you sort of switched and was like, okay, how can I help this other person? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting because... I feel like I've heard that we get the same kind of dopamine hit from helping someone yeah. or from like giving exactly yeah. as we can from drugs and things like that. It's like a similar rush. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just a really important piece to take yep. away for people that like yeah. giving is a healthy way <laughs> yeah, to yeah, receive yeah. that same sort of Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Oh, wow. It's a good observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Letting go and just giving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very, very important. I like that. For me, so um, I think we, you mentioned it about this book about atomic habits. Yeah. When I asked you about like how, how, do you, how do you recommend to get started about those things, I remember the moment where, so the moment we met last, last year to start to work together, I was stopping cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so I tried many times to, to stop to smoke, two times. And then, and then I was always going back at it. Mm-hmm. And even if, if you are motivated and you have the devotion to do, to do it, even if you know it's bad and if people tell you to stop as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's the same kind of reaction. So it was, of course, a less strong addiction and, and, and in any way. But for me, it was something I wanted to tackle down. And then when you recommended that book, it started to change everything again because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so I have a good you know like a, a good motivation to yeah. do it because if I don't succeed uh, doing it for these 66 days mm-hmm. and, comp- and fully know about it and, and, and start tracking down those things then that's that's, beca- that's because you know like there is some sort of atomic habit yeah. thing yeah. going around and, and I need to focus on that small steps and so that's how things started because after that you know like once you, once you tickle down the yeah. first step then everything follows. And I think you are on, on, on the journey of being, a, like now you are an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and you help other people as well, like a lot. I'm seeing it on a daily basis. So for me, like I see the evolution yeah. <laughs> and uh, I took the, the best, I took you at the best time maybe. Yeah. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like I see how strong these the, these things are even for me for sure. and for our collaboration. As well. It's only getting better. For me, it's only getting better. Yeah. I, I, I see my... I see myself before the addiction and my capacity at, at working really hard, mm. stupidly really hard, but I was very performant. And I see the time that I use that time and, and effort to be focused on me and not making the money. And I'm seeing like the future where I go, things are going to go back to, yeah. to where I was and, and with the, in a more healthy way. And I'm going, eh. <laughs> life is going to be good. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Tuesi, and sharing your thank story, you. being so vulnerable. I'm sure it'll help so many people out there. And if this has helped you, we would love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. 
Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.